So we changed this engine with my friend. It took us all night long, 12 hours. And uh, the only reason I was in this situation is because my friend Rob had another friend that he had. Uh, he was a dad also. They were both dads. And he was in a hockey league with his kids. And so this man came to Rob as friends. They were doing carpools and stuff. And he said, listen, my minivan is broken and I need to get it fixed. And I need it for my family. I need to get it done. And he implied that he had no money to do it himself and that he couldn't pay a mechanic and that it was going to cost him a lot. And so he was like on a budget kind of thing. And so he said he needed this vehicle. And so my friend Rob, wanting to help him out, volunteered to do it because he knew how to do it. And he knew that I knew how to kind of work on cars because that's what we did. So he invited me to help him out. And so I said, sure. And we stayed up all night, literally all night long. And I, I don't know if you've ever laid on a concrete floor in the middle of winter, but it just, it's like, it just sucks the heat right out of your body. I mean, you felt like you were dead cold. And so when you're climbing under that car, I mean, it was a miserable night. We were there the whole night long, but we did it. We got it done. And we were very excited. We gave him back the car and everything. I think it needed a little tune-up, but we got it all ready for him. And it was about three weeks later, my friend Rob came up to me again, and he said, he says, John, uh, remember that minivan that we fixed? And I'm like, wait, don't tell me something's wrong. Did, did it not work? Did we do something wrong? Did we mess it up? Did the engine die? And he says, no, nothing like that. It's working fine. He goes, but the thing is, my friend, the other day, I saw him driving around in a brand-new Mercedes. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, he sold the minivan and bought himself a brand new Mercedes. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like after that whole story and we changed that for him and then he just went and traded it in and paid for it, I thought he had no money, you know? And I, and I thought back to the moment, you know, I thought back to that day working. It's not one of those experiences that you forget very easily. And I remember in the morning, the guy came over. He had left us at night at like 8 p.m. And in the morning, it's like five, six in the morning, we're still working on it. He shows up and I remember he didn't bring us coffee. He didn't bring us like donuts. He didn't bring anything. He was just trying to check on it. And I'm like, man, this guy is so ungrateful. I can't even believe it. And I'm like, Rob, aside from me, do you have any good friends? Like, who are all your friends? Like, come on, they're just taking advantage. And he was a little angry about it. I was a little upset about it. And we're both feeling very used by our friend. And now you probably all have had a similar situation with a friend that you thought, man, this, this, I'm surprised they did that. Like, I can't believe it. I thought we were friends, you know? You maybe heard that phrase come out of your mouth. And when you bring up the topic of friends, uh, you might get two responses. Some get very excited about the idea of meeting new friends. And some of us, they're like, no, no, no I don't really want to meet new friends. That's not for me. And that, that's kind of maybe if you're an extrovert or an introvert. I don't know if you've heard those two terms. We've heard those terms, but sometimes we define them incorrectly. Uh, it, an extrovert really is someone who, if you could think of it this way, you gain energy from being around people. So like you want to be around people. That's your goal. Like I, I'm an extrovert. So when I wake up in the morning, like I need, I want to be around people. I always thought I wanted to be like, I get to work as soon as possible because at least there'll be people there, you know, <laughs> or I wanted to do something like teach people because then there's always people around you. Um, and then, but if you're, if you're an introvert, you, you want to be alone. That's where you gain energy. You're like, I need to be away from all these people. I just need to spend some time by myself and like the majority of my time by myself. And, and when I was on staff at a previous church, there was one pastor. This guy was a raging extrovert. He could not go to the bathroom without asking somebody to come into the bathroom with him. Ladies, we know you do that and you have your own reasons, but like guys don't do that. And if he went down to go get some coffee, he was like, someone come with me. Wherever he went, he wanted somebody in the car with him driving around. And I know others though that they would just never want to leave the house. And I'm like, I don't know how you can see on that. And they're just like, if I could live in these four walls right here, I would be totally happy. 
Now, some of you guys, there's a scale, obviously, of the raging extroverts and the very introverted people over here, and then there's kind of everybody in between, and some of you guys are thinking the same thing. Yeah, I kind of fall here, I fall there. And um, sometimes we misinterpret people. I know a friend that he's super quiet, can't get the guy to talk. He's one of these people that they'll stand with you and you say, hey, how you doing? And they'll just be like, good. But it takes ten, you know, five minutes. You're, it, you've gotten so used to them, you know you have to be quiet for about two minutes before you get a response from them. You know those people? And, and I'm, somebody, I'm somebody who likes to keep the things moving, so I'm ready to steamroll over them if I'm not careful. And we think they're introverts, but that doesn't mean they're introvert because you're shy. Because they'll hang out at the party, these people. I notice they'll, they'll go to every party, get there early and stay there. They'll be the last one to leave. I'm like, you like to be around people. You just don't like to talk a lot. So, but anyway, that's where we are. Sometimes we're like, some of you extroverts here today, when we talk about meeting people or friends, you're like, yes, let's do this. And some of you are like, um, I'm not sure I have any more space in my life for more people if you're an introvert today. And there may be other reasons for being cautious when it comes to friends. Maybe like you and my friend Rob, you've been burned before and you're like, yeah, I got kind of used and I just really don't feel like uh, I want to be around people. Or the person you thought was your friend, maybe they had a different motive than you thought. Like when you were a kid and they kept coming over your house. Why do you keep coming over my house? Well, I really like your sister, right? <laughs> or I really like your brother. They didn't really want you. They wanted something else. So they're like kind of hanging out with you. Or if you have wealth, you know, in the first grade, if you bring in a bag of candy to school, you're everybody's friend, right? At least for that day, because they have a motive to be around you, and you don't know if they're really your friend. Or maybe you've had the experience where you had that really needy friend, that friend that always calls you with every issue that they have, and then they drain you to death. Like, I just don't know if I can live. Can you come over to my house for the next four to five hours and spend time with me? And you're like, oh my goodness, I love you, but I don't know if I can handle that. And then, or sometimes we're just so busy. We're just so busy. We're like, you know what? I've got this in my life. I've got work. And then when I come home from work, I do this class. And then when I do that, I spend time with my family and I do this. And we just don't seem to have the time for people in our lives. But maybe you're in the place where you decided to give up on friendships. You're just like, I'm just trying to just live my life. And it's just, they seem to get in the way. But before you give up on friends, maybe there is a better way. You see, that's the point of today. And it's not that we get more people into our life today. That's not really the point of it. It's the point of today is first that we all need some people in our lives. Okay? And then the second thing that I want to get across is that we also need the right people in our lives when it comes to living. And so if you've ever felt alone, then you're going to understand there is a need. But how do we fill that need? Well, that's what Solomon is going to teach us today. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know we're in the series um, of Ecclesiastes, and it's called The Meaning of Everything. And so you're going to see your outline, by the way, and if you want to grab that and get it ready, we're also going to go through some of those verses that are there from Ecclesiastes as we study. But Solomon wrote this book, and Solomon was set out to discover the meaning of life. And he was the third king of Israel who existed, and he also had great wisdom. God had given him great wisdom. He had great wealth. He had great power. And so he's able to try all these different things in life to see where he can find meaning. And so he would try one area of life, like maybe it was working, and, and see where that would lead, and maybe he would tell us what that would lead to. Or maybe it was pleasure that he was pursuing, and then he would see where that path led to. And he kept discovering different things. Um, but this is one of the things he discovered along the way, and that is if you want your life to have meaning, then you need to have people in the journey with you. And he's going to show us not just our need for friends, but the type of friends that we should have. And so we're going to pick it up in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's also on the outline up here uh, on the screen, but in your outline it says this, 
Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of the oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. And yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full, together with toil and grasping for the wind. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, and yet there is no end to all his labor, nor his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. So the first thing that we can learn is this, that Friends bring meaning to our life. Friends bring meaning to our life. I mean, he starts off this whole thing with his usual happy, upbeat tone. Uh, that's sarcastic. Because if you were here with us the first week, we understood this. That nothing, uh, he notes that um, this one term he uses, and he starts off this phrase with this area of scripture, is that everything that's done under the sun. And we learned that, that that meant was everything under the sun is what happens here on this earth that man experiences without God. Leaving God out of the equation. And so, of course, he has, it sounds a little depressing here. And the key to understanding Ecclesiastes is simply that phrase. And so he sees that life is, once again, vanity under the sun without God. And he observes that there is an oppressed, this person who's being oppressed, right? And he's in need. Anyone who's being oppressed is in need, needs somebody, he says, but he has no comfort. There's nobody there to help him. But then he looks at the other guy who's oppressing him and he says, well, this guy's oppressing me. He's got power, but he doesn't have anybody either. He doesn't have a comforter. And he introduces this idea that we all need some type of companionship. And then he notes this other person that's working really hard. This guy's toiling day after day. He's, there's no end to his labor. He's working long hours. And he's working to gain wealth. But he knows, this guy knows what he is working for, what he is working for. But he never stops to ask the question, who am I doing it for? Who am I doing it for? So he's gaining and gaining, but then he says, but who is he working for? And the tragedy is that this man, that he, this little par, um, parable, this guy, he says that he has no family, he's got no uh, wife, he's got no kids to leave it after, he's got no friends. And so he doesn't even recognize that he's doing all this for nobody. He's working long hours, he's doing all this stuff, and he's not able to even enjoy his, what, his labor, the fruit of his labor, and he also realizes nobody he's doing it for. He's only doing it for himself. Now, I, my kids are wonderful kids, and if you have kids or you've had them, you've experienced this yourself, they get a kick out of the simplest things. But when they learn they can do a somersault, it's hilarious when one of them goes, look what I learned in school, and they're like, Daddy, watch me, watch me. They get, watch me, and if I'm not watching, they just keep yelling until they get my attention, Daddy, Daddy. And then they do the somersault, and then, of course, little Woody or the other one goes, oh, I can do it too, and they try to do it, right? But what is it about that? Like, why, if you know how to do it, why do you have to show me? Because they want, they want to be noticed. They want to share it with somebody. It brings meaning to the fact that they can do a somersault when somebody can watch, right? Because you can do it on your own and you're excited about it, but it's so much better when we share it with someone else. It enriches their life. And the reason is that for this is that God has created you and you were never meant to be alone. 
That's the truth. If you go way back in your mind with me for a moment, let's just think back to before everything was created, if you can. I don't know what that looks like, but there's nothing here. There's no earth, there's no sun, there's no moon, there's no stars, there's no heavens, there's nothing. There's only God. And most of us, when we picture God in that moment, we just picture he's alone, right? That's what I do. I'm like, wow, God, it must have been really lonely all by yourself. But he wasn't alone because he was part of what we call the Trinity. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They were in perfect fellowship. There was never a time that God himself was even alone. We believe that three persons in one makes up our God, and together they existed. And he is a picture for us already of this perfect fellowship that we need. But then when God created us, he created you, think about this, simply because he wanted to. He didn't need us for companionship, but then he creates us because he wanted to. He already had companionship, but he didn't need you. He did it simply because he desired to create you. God desired to create you. Just think about that for a minute. God's sitting there, you know, he's trying to create some people. I don't even know, you know, what that looked like in his mind, but he, he knew what it looked like before us. And from the very beginning, God's intent for us was to never be alone. He created you with a core need inside for intimacy. So if we go back to the first day of creation, the first days, now we're moving forward a little bit in the story and that we read Genesis, where that starts Genesis chapter one, God creates, and if you would read there, you would see that he slowly creates on a period of seven days. And whether you believe that is the truth, like really happened, or you believe that kind of an allegory, I feel like I'm in a big can right now. But uh, if you believe that it was an allegory, it's still communicating something to us. And so for every day that he created, at the end, he said, it's good. He said, it was good. And so he brings, he creates man. And there is Adam, and he puts him in the garden, and then he gives him a job to tend the, the garden, and then he also brings all these animals to him to name. And, and he, as he's naming these animals, he sees Mr. and Mrs. Elephant go by, and he sees Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe go by, and he sees Mr. and Mrs. Lion go by, and he's like, something's missing here, there's just me, where's my missus, you know? And, and then he also noticed something that none of them were suitable for him. Like, well, maybe the ape looks like maybe, no, I don't know. He's like, this is not going to work out. None of this is going to work out, you know? And this is the first time that God says, he says it's good all this time. And this first time God says something that's not good. And he says this, it is not good for man to be alone. First time. And so God's intent was never for us to be alone. Now he created that so we would know that. You know, maybe he created him so you would know it. Even though he had fellowship with God, because he's created with you two needs, two intimate needs. One to be intimate with your creator, God. And he had that, but he didn't have the intimacy with another per person, another human being. And so he creates the woman, and he brings her to the man. And when he brought her to the man, he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You see, he brings them, and they're supposed to be joined together. That's what he means when he says that they would become one flesh. And when I thought of one flesh, every time I read that, I thought, oh, the honeymoon night. He's talking about physical intimacy. But that's not true. It's not entirely true. God's joining us on a different level, and we don't have time for that. That's another message entirely. But later, Paul's going to quote this verse in a couple different areas when it talks about being one with our Creator and one with somebody on a different level spiritually. And so God has created this, but the, notice the second part of the verse, which is even more important in this context today, is that he says they were naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. And so it is our deepest desire, you and me, think about this for a minute, especially if we're married, right? We want to be known fully for who we are and still be accepted, right? 
naked and unashamed. You know who I am. You know me, my flaws. You know my personality issues. You know all the things that are wrong with me, and yet you still love me. We all want that deep down. We don't want to have to change to be somebody we're not because that's not who we are. And when we're not who we are, we're not comfortable. And we tried to marry somebody who was going to accept us for what we really were. And this is who I am. Yeah, I know. And it doesn't mean we don't try to change. It doesn't mean we don't try to please the other person. But it does mean that's the core desire inside of us. Can you accept me for who I am? And God has placed that inside of us despite all our flaws. We want to be known naked and unashamed. See, all you can ever do to achieve meaning will be nothing if we can't share it with somebody else. We can do so many different things, but you'll never satisfy the core need because we're getting all the things we're trying to accomplish, but we're not satisfying the thing that God brought to us and placed inside of us. The things we do in life will ultimately mean nothing if we don't have anybody to share it with. Other people, relationships are what bring significance to the life that we have. And so Solomon's going to continue now, and he writes this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The second thing that we should understand is that relationship, the right relationship is worth the work. The right relationship is worth work. Solomon observes that there's a benefit to having a companion. And many of us have heard this verse before because we've either heard it at a wedding, right? We've, we've heard it someplace else. It's one of those verses that even if we're not a Christian or don't know the Bible too well, we might have heard it. But Solomon, think about this. When he was writing it, it was really more in context to his culture. It wasn't just the way we would look at it and interpret it. We might have different visions for what those things mean. But when they, in his culture, they had to travel mostly by foot or by slow camel. Camels, right, would be taking them around and they weren't necessarily super fast. It's not a very fast, fast way to, to travel. If you're in your car today and you're parked in a, in a very seedy neighborhood, like you know, neighborhood that doesn't look so great, what do we do? We just roll up the windows, lock the doors, and we're kind of safe inside that car. Well, when you were going through a bad neighborhood back then, you, know, you didn't have the, the, the protection of that glass. You didn't have the protection of a gas pedal. You just take off, right? The other people are going to catch up to you. And so imagine when you were traveling... There would be pits and ravines if you weren't on a road. But if you're on a road, you know, you, 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 would, uh, you, you might have to sleep in the desert. Think about that. So, so how do you keep warm? I mean, you have to literally, guys, you have to lay back to back with somebody just to keep warm because de desert temperatures could drop 20 degrees easily in the night. So you're walking around, it's 50 degrees in the day, and suddenly it's freezing. You're at 30 degrees. And if you wanted to keep alive, you had to lay close to somebody. I mean, think about what, as he's describing some of these things, and if you were exposed to robbers back then, you were much more exposed to be a, a victim of being robbed because people were actually, bands of people would wait for you to come along the road. And if you were all by yourself, man, you weren't going to be very good at it. You would have to, you know, you would be very uh, vulnerable. But if you had somebody else with you, now you could be able to maybe overcome somebody else. So the people of his day would understand how important it is to have a companion. And nobody really wanted to travel alone in those days. You could think about that, especially in certain areas. But the same is true for us no matter what era we live in, right? We go through the valleys in life, and we need people to give us the boost up sometimes. Or we get beat up from the world, and we just need a little bit of help. Or maybe we get a little lonely, and we need someone to warm our spirit. We see how this relates to us today, and we say, yeah, we could use another person. 
The phrase one another, by the way, occurs over a hundred times in the New Testament. And 59 times it tells us an instruction on what we should do. It says things like this, love one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, exhort one another. But the only problem with that is you can't really do it if you don't have another one another. There's not another, right? And so if God is instructing us to do these things to one another, we need other people in our lives. And God has placed people in our lives for the purpose of helping and transforming us. Solomon wrote this proverb. This is a proverb that he wrote himself. He says, as iron sharpens iron, so, one, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I remember back to the days when I lived with my grandparents, and I think we still use these, but they used them a lot back then. They'd have these like metal sharpener. It was metal. It was like a metal rod. I think there's a picture up here on the screen. It looks like that, right? And he would get, on Thanksgiving especially, man, that turkey would come out. He'd come to the end of the table, and he's like, sharpen that thing, right? It was metal against metal that would make that blade sharper. And so that's the idea. When we rub against another person in life, when we do life with them, it's not always super pleasant. Sometimes it is, but they're sharpening us. They're honing us, and that's what he's trying to say. You're going to get better. Your countenance is going to become better. You're going to be maybe have more patience, right? You've learned to have a little more patience because we're rubbing up against other people, or maybe you're learning how to act kindly instead of act with act out in a different way with anger or whatever it is, or maybe learning how to enjoy life where, where we sometimes didn't enjoy life because they're able to laugh at it. We learn we're able to laugh at whatever it is. And so people in our lives are doing the same thing for you and me. They're making us better. They're changing us. They're helping us in times of need. Maybe they're making our lives a little bit easier or making us more effective or enriching our lives. And Solomon says this as he starts out that area that we just wrote. He says this, or read, he says this, that we, they have a good reward for their labor. And because relationships are work, right? That's what it means. Our marriages are work. Our relationships with family brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins can be work at times. And even great friendships are work. But just because they are work doesn't mean they should scare us from that great thing that we can enjoy. And the reason they're work is because we're so different. You see, you and I, we see the world from different perspectives. We have different opinions. We have different personalities. We have different skills and talents and weaknesses and strengths. And so that brings a, the challenge of getting along together. But this is interesting because the very thing that makes relationships work is also the things that bring the reward. Think about it. When you have a different opinion than mine, I actually learn something from you. And there comes the reward. Without others in our lives, we wouldn't see things differently. Without others in, with different strengths and weaknesses than us, then we wouldn't grow in certain areas or learn certain things. And without differences, we wouldn't grow or challenge to be grow and become different. And so those things that are work are actually the very things that are good for us, that make the relationships so great. But sadly, some of us have learned to rely only on ourselves. Maybe as you think back to that story with Rob, we're like, I'm never going to do that again, right? <laughs> or someone lets us down. They were supposed to love us. They were supposed to care for us, but they weren't, they'd come through when we needed them. And so we learned something. We learned that if you got to do it, if I need something done right, I'm going to do it myself. And so we decide we're not going to depend on other people. We're not, you weren't there for me, so I'm not going to depend on you, and I'm going to have to figure it out for myself. And we learn that people can't be counted on. And the, may, and the experience may have thought, made us think that these relationships, maybe they're not worth the risk. Maybe it's just not worth it because, you know, I got hurt so bad. It just wasn't 
wasn't, wasn't worth it. And so at one point in our lives, we started to isolate ourselves. We started to close ourselves off from the relationships that might happen. And we started to keep people a little bit at arm's length and say, well, I'll let you in this far, but this other step, no, I'm not going to let you that far because that's where the pain can come in. And, and honestly, we probably don't think about it this way. We probably don't think about it that we, in these moments where we cut people off, we're learning to live by our own wisdom because we're not sharing wisdom from other people. And this is what the Bible has to say about it. He warns us about this. He says, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. And so sometimes when we close ourselves off from people, we're closing ourselves off from the effect that they can have on us and the wisdom that they can bring into our lives. And we don't see it that way. I probably wouldn't say I've become wise in my own eyes, but technically we have. Because we're only relying on our own wisdom. And God says, hey, this is a dangerous place. There's more hope for the fool than there is for you if that you get yourself to that place. And so it's an encouragement to us to continue to grow and be open. And it might not be easy for you right now to let people in. But God is encouraging you to try. And there may be a valid reason that you have for keeping people at arm's length, for keeping them out of your life. It's true. You may have experienced some of the things that we were talking about. When I said that, maybe something came into your mind. Someone who was close to you that left or whatever it was. But honestly, that's no way to live. And Solomon is telling us it's time to move out of that place. And today, God is telling you it's time to move out of that place. It's time to move forward so that your life can be enriched and your life can be different. And so then Solomon continues in this chapter. He says this, Better a poor and a wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. And yet those who come after will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and grasping at the wind. And so the last thing to know today is that good friends come from good choices. Good friends come from good choices. I mean, Solomon is making a really powerful statement here. I know it sounds a little bit confusing, but he's making a very powerful statement. And that is that popularity is, popularity is when many people who don't know you, love you, or think that they love you. But friendship is when there are few people who really know you and love you anyway. Right? So there's this king, he has this picture of this king who knows everybody. Like they know, all these people know him. He's got popularity, but it doesn't carry him very far. We live in a culture when people are trying to attain some level of popularity and fame. I mean, we're trying to do it in the form of internet. I mean, I look on the internet and I see people that are making millions of dollars on YouTube. And I'm like, how can they be making money off of this? There's that little Asian kid. I forgot his name. I probably should have a picture of him up here. <laughs> Ryan. And this guy's got millions of dollars and he's got products out in, in, into stores now. You go to Walmart and you see his products and I'm thinking, these guys got fame, right? And we try to get, I don't know about you, if you do through Instagram or Facebook and I am a victim of it. I'll post something on Instagram and I'm looking at it for the next three or four days to see who liked it. I mean, I don't want to think that that's who I am, but I'm like, how many likes did I get this time? And I'll go to Carol, look at this one, got more likes than our last one. And it's like all these people who like it and some of them I barely even know. Right? We, we, we have all these relationships and we have all these things through social media and through these in Facebook. We have all these relationships, but honestly, we find ourselves at a level of isolation like no other culture has, has ever experienced because we're trying to form relationships that aren't real and we get people who are going to like us, but they don't really know us and we don't build lasting relationships. 
We need to be able to know somebody and be known by them. And when we're only showing the best pictures of our lives, that's not really them getting to know us because we're all flawed people. And that's why Solomon says you can be king over a sea of people. And they will only rejoice after they won't rejoice after you when you're gone. Because if they really knew you, maybe they wouldn't like you the way you think. And so he says, you need people that are going to like you regardless of who you are. That they know you and they're still going to love you. I can't help but think of this verse for a minute there. He's talking about this old king. He's talking about this new you. And I wonder if he was thinking about his dad at that time. Because what he said before, Solomon's dad was David, King David. And he was this young you. Who people, when they got to know him, really loved him. But then there was the king before him, his name was Saul, and Saul really didn't have a lot of friends, and Saul kept trying to hold on to a position of power and a position of fame, and even when God had said, listen, your kingdom is done now, and I got a new guy, and that's going to be David. And I wonder if he's looking back when he's writing this, thinking, man, this, you know, fame is only going to carry you so far. Not having real relationships is not going to take you there. The path to popularity and the path to friendship are two very different paths. And we have to decide really which one we want. A crowd will watch you and they'll cheer on and they'll cheer you on as long as you're entertaining them. Right? But when the entertainment stops, so does the friend. A real friend will love you even at your worst. Look at what it says here in Proverbs. It says, The righteous should, should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Lots of us have friendships. They just kind of happen sometimes automatically. People that we work with, the people that we know in our neighborhoods, maybe it's somebody that we go to some kind of extracurricular activity. We kind of become friends with them and we kind of adopt those friends. But what we're being instructed here is to pick the friends that we have. And so the friends that you might choose, I wrote down a couple things for us to help us because these would be important in our life. And the first one is this, choose friends who make you better. Choose friends that make you better. He who loves purity of heart, and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. He's the right person who will speak into your life, will encourage you. This is the type of person we want in our lives. These are the type of people that we want around us because we know at the end of the day they have our best interests in mind. And this is the person who's going to speak truth and life into our lives and love. We need both. We don't just need the love, but we also need the truth. And they're willing to take that hit and tell us the things that are important to us so that we can grow because they have our best in mind. The second thing is choose friends who live out godly wisdom. Friends that will live out godly wisdom. There's a saying that says this, that you're the average of the five people that you hang around with. I don't know if that's true, but I know that it's partially true because I tend to rub off. What rubs off from them rubs off onto me. And so we become the average of those people. And so we want to take people that are following a path that we want to be on. If you want to draw closer to God, hang around with people that don't really know God too much. I'm not saying make it, you can hang out with them, but don't make them your best friends because they're the ones that are going to lead you astray. I remember this long ago when I first became a Christian. I went, my, my friends and I, we would go out and drink. And so we would go to the bars and every night we would drink whatever it is that we went out. And I went to the bar one night and I said, hey, I'm not going to drink tonight. And they're like, okay. And so I'm like, why not? I'm like, well, you know, I just feel like I don't want to drink and I'm trying to like like lay off on it a little bit, you know. And so then I went to the bathroom and when I came back out, the tonic water that I had now had vodka in it. <laughs> they weren't going to lead me. They weren't going to allow me to go the path that I wanted to. They were going to end up in the path that they had no matter what. And, and it's just, 
That's what's going to happen with those people. So we want to be on a path that are going to lead us to the place that we want to be, that are doing and making decisions that we want, that have the type of life that we desire. Those are the ones we say, man, this is the person that I'd like to, to be known for. This is the person that I'd like to grow with. And then the last thing is this, to choose the friend who will never leave you. The Bible says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And Jesus is that friend that he's referring to. In the, in the area of scripture that we read, the middle of the verse of in, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says that a twofold cord is not easily broken. Two strands are not easily broken. But the threefold cord, that's going to give you more strength, right? And that third cord is God. When we include God in the relationship, when we include God as the person that is engrafting all of us, then we are going to be stronger because of it. You know, some of us think that what we do is what makes us lovable, right? We think that, well, if I perform right, if I please my wife and I do all these things, that's going to make me lovable. If I always am nice to my kids and give them candy, then that's going to make me lovable. But that's not what makes us lovable. And the same thing happens with our relationship with God. We think the same thing. And I, it, it happens to all of us. It happens to me because there are times where I'm doing stuff and then I go, you know what, God's not happy with me now. God doesn't love me because I shouldn't have done this or I shouldn't have done that. And we have this performance-based idea of what it means for God to love us, that that's what gives us value and how good you can be or what you can accomplish or how much wealth you've made or what position of power you have or how much fame or friends that you do have is going to tell people whether you're worth liking or not. But that's not the economy of God. The economy of God is that He loves you not because of what you can do, but because of who you are. Because He created you, and He loves you. And I look at my kids, and they can do so many things that get me upset. But I love them so much, no matter what they do. And I can't help it. I tell this to all the dads, especially when you get a little girl, man. God just flips a switch inside of you. I don't even know how it happens. You see that child and boom, you can't help but love them. You'll never love any other child the way you love your own children. And I don't know why that is. I guess it's because it's yours somehow, even though they're God's. And it's the same thing with God. He created you because he loves you. He wanted to be around you. And that's what gives you value because you're his. Not because of what you do. Listen, if we go seeking after friendships, if we go seeking after God based on who we are, what we can do, you'll always end up with the wrong relationship or the wrong idea of what that relationship is all about. So maybe for today, you're thinking, man, I, I, you know, I've been trying to perform. I've been thinking that God's love is based on how good I am. Well, that's what the gospel is all about. Jesus came here to remove the barrier that stood between us and God, that thing that said, I'm not good enough for you, God. I'm going to be honest with you. You're not good enough, and I'm not good enough. Nobody in this room or on this planet is good enough to be with God but that's not how he's going to value you. He loves you. And so what he did is he goes, I'm going to remove that barrier. If you think this is the problem, I'm going to come and I'm going to pay for every single sin that you ever committed, every one you will commit in the future by dying on a cross for you. I paid for every single sin. I'm making the sacrifice so that you don't have to. And I've removed that now. So now it doesn't have to be in the right way. And now it can just be you and me. That's what the story of Jesus is all about. And if that's you today... All you have to do is just invite Jesus into your heart. 
He made it that simple. You don't have to be a, doing performance. You don't have to walk little ladies across the street. You don't have to give food to the homeless. You don't have to give to the church. You don't have to do any of those things. I mean, you'll still want to do those. <laughs> but those aren't the things that are going to make you pleasing to God. So if that's you today, I'm going to pray first for the end of this service in just a moment. But then after that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your heart and receive forgiveness today and do that you can be with him forever and know that he loves you no matter what. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know where everyone is today in regard to relationships. And maybe there are a few people here today that decided, yeah, I'm going to give up on those relationships. Maybe we've given up on the idea that there's someone in special in this life for us that we could spend our life with. Or maybe it's just we've been kind of closing ourselves off, isolating ourselves. God, that's not your, ever been your intention. And I hope that was made clear today. So God, help us to take those steps of faith and give us the courage to reach out to others. Because Lord, we're not only being enriched by someone else, we're enriching other people's lives too. And that is your purpose for us, to help others to see who you are clearly through who we are. So God, I thank you for everyone that's here today. Give us the courage to grow closer to you and know you more. And now with everybody in an attitude of prayer, I just want to offer you today, if you said, yeah, I, I, I need forgiveness and I need to feel God's presence and his love in my life and I want to invite Jesus in my heart, just raise your hand if you want to pray with me. I bless you guys. I bless you. I bless you. I'm proud of you guys. So what we're going to do, though, is I'm going to just lead you in a prayer. And that's it. Simply just lead you in a prayer. So you're going to pray with me and it's just my words, but it's your heart accepting Jesus. And so let's just all pray together out loud. Repeat after me. Dear God, I open my heart. I invite you inside to be my God, my Savior, my friend. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Today, I'm deciding to follow you. From this day forward, I'm yours. Help me to follow you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.